0: This is a bonus episode of the Notable Speeches Podcast. Although we intended to be on hiatus for the summer, the events of recent weeks prompted a speech we thought you might like to hear. Those events, of course, are the May 25th death of a man, a convicted felon named George Perry Floyd, during a police arrest in Minneapolis, the subsequent protests across America and even in other nations decrying racism and police brutality and the incidents of violence and looting that accompanied some of those protests. This speech is by U.S. Senator and 2016 presidential candidate Marco Rubio, a Republican from Florida. He delivered these remarks on the Senate floor on June 9th.
1: The murder of Mr. Floyd at the hands of law enforcement officers was an outrageous crime that has shocked this nation. But it would be a mistake to conclude that the unrest of the last two weeks are only about his death or are only about relations with the police. At its core, what this unrest is about is the question of what kind of society we are and what kind of society do we want to be. A society is a voluntary agreement by people to live together. For a society to thrive, those in it must believe that their interests are protected and their voices are heard. But when a substantial number of people in a society come to believe that they are not valued, that they do not matter, or that they are not wanted, then that society will have big problems. For decades, African Americans have complained that they feel that their voices are being ignored, their problems not being addressed, and their lives not valued. Given our nation's history with race, this is an uncomfortable grievance, one many would rather avoid. But like a bad debt that must eventually be paid, it is a grievance we can no longer ignore. Like before, the latest unrest has given rise to voices arguing that the foundations of our republic are built on systemic racism and must therefore be brought down. The only difference is that this time, claims like these don't just come from the fringes of our politics. Like before, we also have voices who say that today, race is only a factor in individual cases, distinct from our society at large. Both of these views are wrong. The foundations of our country are not irredeemably racist. Abolition, women's suffrage, desegregation, the civil rights movement, these were not appeals to overthrow our values. These were demands that we fulfill them. And the Constitution that once considered slaves three-fifths of a human being was ultimately the vehicle that was used to free them and eventually to secure their most basic rights. It is also true that we have made tremendous progress on racial equality over the last 50 years. But there remain shocking racial disparities on health, on education, on housing, on economics and criminal justice. And there remains the fundamental truth That in any society in which a substantial percentage of the people believe that they are treated unjustly is a society that has a problem, a society that can never fulfill its full potential unless those grievances are addressed. None of this excuses radical violent extremists setting fires, looting buildings, hurting innocent people. It also shouldn't lead us to stupid ideas, like defunding the police. And this is not going to be fixed by endless emails from corporation after corporation trying to prove how woke they are even as they outsource your job to China. But it's also not going to be fixed by pretending that race is no longer an issue and by accusing everyone who disagrees and says it is of hating America. Yes, there are still vile racists among us and although few of them will ever openly admit it, but in 21st century America, few people consider themselves racists. The primary reason why race remains relevant today is that the African-American community faces a unique set of challenges that far too few people in positions of power and politics fully understand. If a child is raised in a stable home, in a safe neighborhood, attends a good school, and they have a private tutor to help them with the SAT. While another child, two miles away, is raised by one parent, or maybe even a grandparent, they live in substandard housing, in a dangerous neighborhood, they attend a school that is failing or failing them, and they don't have a private tutor for the SAT. On most days, they don't have access to Wi-Fi. Do these two kids really have an equal opportunity to go to the same college? If one college student has the connections or the money to complete unpaid internships and to do unpaid internships in the summer or to study abroad, and another student has to work in the summer just so they can afford to go back to school in the fall, do they really have an equal opportunity to get hired when they graduate? If one young adult does something stupid, gets arrested, But his parents hire good lawyers, and he's able to avoid having a criminal record. Another young adult who does the exact same thing has to use a public defender, pleads guilty to a lesser charge, but now has a criminal record. Do they really have an equal opportunity when they apply for the same job? When policymakers encourage sending manufacturing jobs that once employed African-American men overseas in an effort to benefit those employed in technology and finance. How can we truly expect widespread prosperity for all Americans? And when a disproportionate number of those with these disadvantages come from one race, while a disproportionate number of those with the advantages comes from another, the result is a racial disparity. Some suggest that these disparities are the result of institutionalized racism or of a deliberate effort designed to harm African Americans. What I truly believe is that it's the product of something far less sinister but sometimes equally damaging. It is the result of racial indifference, of the fact that many in positions of power and influence are oblivious or unaware of the unique challenges that disproportionately face African-American communities across this country. We must now acknowledge these challenges and address these disparities that they create. Because when disparities go unaddressed, they become grievances. And when grievances are ignored, it leads to friction and division and ultimately unrest. By no means do these disparities alone fully capture the entirety of the challenge before us there still remain points of friction more reminiscent of a different and shameful era in our history. And here, too, we can also suffer from indifference because the vast majority of Americans simply do not personally know the sting that comes from implicit and sometimes explicit reactions to the color of your skin. Which is why true progress requires that we listen to the viewpoints of those who do. Listen to the young man that I know, who sees reports of a young man that looks like him, like his uncles, like his grandfather, being murdered by vigilantes in a case of mistaken identity. Who knows that had they not taken video of themselves doing this, they would have gotten away with it. Listen, and he will tell you that he feels his life wouldn't matter either if it wasn't because he played professional football. Listen to the police officer I know who was pulled over while off duty at least seven times by his own department for no reason. And he will tell you of the humiliation of having to explain this to his teenage son. Listen to what it feels like to see on the news that when a mother in Miami recently drowned her own autistic son in a terrible tragedy, you know how she tried to cover it up? By falsely telling the police that he had been abducted by two African-American men demanding drugs. And listen to what it feels like to read about the indictment of the chief of police of Biscayne Park, Florida. Who, in an effort to brag about having a perfect crime-solving record, ordered his officers to arrest anybody black walking through their streets, and if they had any kind of criminal record, pin one of their unsolved crimes on them. Listen, not because it's your fault, not because you are to blame. Listen, because this is what people who want to live together in harmony must do. This is the respect we owe one another as colleagues, as co-workers. This is the empathy that is required of us as neighbors, as friends, and as children of the same God. This may not be your fault, but this is our problem. Because until we heal this divide, we will never, ever have the kind of society we want. And we will never fulfill the full promise of our nation. There is reason for hope. Even in a deeply divided country where the political and cultural lines that divide us continue to harden, a clear consensus has emerged that we can no longer ignore matters of race in America. But it is a fragile consensus. Already being tested by loud voices appealing to our most basic fears— or who see the opportunity to advance divisiveness and extreme ideas. If this is the path we choose, we will all look back at this time with profound regret. And we will be left with a society that is even angrier and more divided than it is now. We will be left with an America that no longer resembles the one we honor when we stand during the national anthem. And ironically, We will also be left with an America even further away from the one some kneel to demand. The only way forward is to treat each other with the empathy and respect required of a people who have decided to share a nation and a future.
0: United States Senator Marco Rubio of Florida recorded on June 9th the same day George Floyd was buried in his hometown of Houston, Texas. At present, one Minneapolis police officer, now a former officer, has been charged with second-degree murder in Floyd's death. Three other now former officers are facing charges of aiding and abetting murder. This has been a bonus episode of the Notable Speeches podcast during our planned summer hiatus. Your comments are always welcome. Email feedback at notablespeeches.com. I'm Joseph Slife. Thank you for listening.